take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Most of our, uh, our text is from Hebrews chapter 11. And Hebrews 11.4 references the history, the event of Cain and Abel, or of Abel and Cain. And uh, God remarks on Abel's life in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4. So we'll read just that verse. I'll read it out loud. I'll read it to you. And then keep your place there in Hebrews 11, because even if we go away from Hebrews 11, we're going to come back to verse 4. We're also going to be reminded about verse 6 and also uh, verse 13. We're working our way through a series on faith, and we will enter... Uh, I'll put some other messages in there so it's not faith every single Sunday for the next, uh, well, how many ever weeks to get through this chapter. But I'm increasingly convinced that what our churches lack, what we lack, what I lack is faith. We certainly don't lack knowledge. We live in a time where you have, you, the person sitting in the pew, has more access to Bible teaching than any time before in history that I can think of. It used to be if you wanted to hear preaching, you had to go to a physical location and listen to somebody. Now you can turn on the radio, uh, television, not my two preferred methods, but uh, get online. And there at the, we were recently at the two minute warning. It's a, it's a meeting for a a men's conference. And uh, this fella had an item, the shape of a credit card that he said, uh, actually plugged into your computer. It's a USB drive, contained 50 sermons. 50 sermons. And uh, we were joking. Uh, one of the pastors had come up to pray. We were joking that we were going to give it to that pastor and he would not have to prepare a sermon for the rest of the year. <laughs> he could just preach those 50 sermons to his own people, right? 50 sermons available. There's more knowledge than, than, than we've ever had access to before. You can go online and find entire commentaries on the internet. You can even search by verse. You don't even have to find the commentary and then open it to the right page. You go to the verse, and there's a a website I I use from time to time called blueletterbible.org, and you can go to that verse, Hebrews 11.4, for example, and they'll give you a list of commentaries that have remarks on that verse. It's not that we lack for knowledge, and it's not that we lack for God's grace, because we know that God's grace is always sufficient. His power is always there to meet us, when we step out by faith. But what we often lack is faith. We don't, in our heart of hearts, in those deep recesses of our minds where only we go, we don't really believe God means what he says. Because if we did, it would change our actions. It would change our behaviors. It would change the way we think. Now, we won't say that to each other. I'm not going to come to you and say, you know, as your pastor, I don't really believe what God says. But if you watch my actions, you can see places where, Pastor, you know, you, you, you preach this. The Bible says this, but your behaviors don't line up with what God says. If you could get into my mind, but by God's grace, you can't, okay? <laughs> you don't want to be there. But let's imagine, you know, you could put a machine up to my mind and read my thoughts. You'd find there's times when I'm not thinking the way the Bible t- tells me I ought to think. And I'm sure the same is true for you as well. And it's because, so often, it's because we lack faith. So that's why we're we're going through this chapter. And we need men and we need women of faith who can literally move mountains. That's what God tells us. Our faith can move mountains. We need men and women like that whose faith moves mountains. Now, last week, we looked at four axioms, four things about faith 
uh, that we found in Hebrews chapter 11. We actually looked at several other passages too, but let's, let's see these in, in Hebrews chapter 11. Four things that your faith needs to believe. The first one is that God exists. You must believe that God exists. Right here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him, for, uh, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is. That's God's existence. Must believe that he is. If you don't believe that God exists, then boy, the rest of this message is going to be really hard. And by the way, I, my heart goes out to, I have a compassion for people who, who say they're either atheists or agnostics and they're not sure that God exists or they are sure that God does not exist. My heart goes out to them because who do they have to pray to? Who do they have to be thankful to? When things are spinning out of control and there's wars in Europe and there's wars in the Middle East, who are they hoping can fix it? Who are they hoping can protect them? When crime comes to their home, and some of you have experienced uh, things even this week, when crime comes to our home, who do we turn to if there is no God? So the first thing you must believe is that God exists. The second thing that you must believe is that God rewards those who seek Him. Again, Hebrews 11 Without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You must believe that God rewards those who seek him. When you believe that, your behavior and your thinking shows that because you spend time, you spend effort, you spend emotional energy to seek God. Think back over the last seven days since we met last Sunday. You went home. Uh, you, you, everyone has different seasons of life. Some of you have been taking care of kids all week. Some of you have been very busy at work. Some of you have a home repair that has just been frustrating you and you're still trying to fix it. But whatever you did through the week, think in your own mind. This is just rhetorical here, but think in your own mind. What did you do in an effort to seek the Lord this week? Now, if you say to me, well, you know, you have to understand, I, I've been really busy. I just, I, I prayed to him a couple times, yeah, and, you know, I, I opened the Bible once looking for some help, and, and I've just been really busy this week. Now, let me ask you a question. If I gave you instructions to finding a chest of gold worth a million dollars, and you were absolutely convinced that I was not leading you astray, all you had to do was find the chest of gold, and it was only going to take you four or five hours. I'm guessing most of you would say, hey, I'd spend four or five hours this week looking for that chest of gold. If you really believe that it was there. The problem, the reason we don't seek God is because, frankly, we don't believe he rewards those who seek him. We think it's not really worth our time to seek him because it's not going to pay dividends. Let's be frank. I know my own heart. Why don't I pray more? Because I say, you know, I've prayed enough. If I pray anymore, it won't matter. I'm talking about my own heart. I don't know your heart. But so often we don't pray because we don't think it'll really matter. Or we, our prayers are short. And, hey, I just need this. Okay, well, that, hope that sticks, right? Like throwing spaghetti up against the ceiling. We're not really serious about our prayers because we don't believe God rewards those who seek him. We're going to see this today in the life of Abel, that God rewards those who seek him. Here's the third one, that God created all things by his word. Hebrews 11, verse 3. Through faith we understand. This is Hebrews 11, verse 3. Through faith we understand that the worlds, that the worlds were formed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. 
So we believe that God exists, that he rewards those who seek him, that he created all things by his word. It shows us his power, his wisdom, his creativity. We talked about a lot of those attributes a couple of weeks ago. Here's the fourth axiom, that God has communicated with man. Because you can believe that he exists, that he rewards those who seek him, and that he created all things by his word, but how do we know how to seek him? How do we know what he's like? Unless he's communicated to us. Now just here in, uh, we're just going to run through a few verses quickly here in Hebrews chapter 11. Notice how God's communicating all through this chapter in Hebrews 11 verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned of God. God communicated to Noah, hey, there's a flood that's coming. You better do something. That's communication. Look with me at verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place. Who called Abraham to go out into a place? God called Abraham to go. God communicated to Abraham. Hey, Abraham, I have something for you. I need you to leave the place where you're comfortable. I need to leave the family that you know. I need you to leave the economy that you have built your wealth at. And I need you to go to a new place. And, and Abraham says, where? And God says, I'll, I'll show you. God communicated with Abraham. Verse 11. Through faith also Sarah herself received, received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Who had promised? God had promised. He communicated to Sarah, you're going to have a baby. You don't need to adopt a baby, Sarah. You're going to have a baby. And because she believed in that promise, she's listed here as one of these men and women of faith. So we must believe that God exists. We must believe that he rewards those who seek him. We must believe that he's created all things by his powerful word, and we must believe that he has communicated with man. And in our case, if I can narrow that down just a little bit further, we know, the Bible tells us, that he's communicated with man through his word, through this Bible. So when you say, well, pastor, I'd love to seek God, but where are the instructions? They're right here. Four axioms. Now, the Bible tells us one of the things God's communicated to us is that we walk by faith and not by sight. There's a hint of that here in Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things, what are those next two words? Not seen. Not seen. Faith is required because life doesn't always work out the way we think it will. Faith is required because we don't always immediately see the benefits of obedience to God. Now today in the life of Abel, and then as we go through this entire chapter, you're going to see over and over this truth. That the Christian life requires faith because righteousness is not always immediately rewarded. You might do what's right and seemingly nothing happens. And the Christian life requires faith because Evil is not always immediately punished. Someone else may do something wrong to you and get away with it. And Abel shows us his faith because regardless of that, Abel does what God asks him to do. So the Christian life requires faith because righteousness is not always immediately rewarded and because evil is not always immediately punished. Haven't you noticed that sometimes evil people prosper? And the righteous are oppressed? Haven't you, haven't you noticed that sometimes there are 
people who smoke and drink and do drugs, and they live a long time. And here's a Christian who tries to take care of their body as a temple of the Lord. He tries to follow God's directions in, 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 in God's word, and he dies at a young age. Um, so the Christian life requires faith because righteousness is not always immediately rewarded and evil is not always immediately punished. Now, in order to understand uh, today's message, let's talk about some things that the Old Testament saints knew, that Adam knew and Eve knew and Cain knew and Abel knew. Because, again, God, we believe, fourth thing in that axiom is that God has communicated to man. God communicated very early on some things to Abel and, and uh, Cain and Eve and Adam that they needed to do, that they needed to think, that they needed to believe. And the ones who did that, God counted them as righteous by faith. They were righteous. And the ones who didn't do that, of course, were, were not righteous. So how, what are some things that the Old Testament saints knew right from the fall? Well, the first thing that they knew was that something had gone terribly wrong. Now hold your place there in uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and go back to Genesis 3. And uh, let's just see that real quickly here. Uh, they knew, Adam and Eve knew right away that something had gone wrong. As soon as Adam sinned and he ate that fruit, something changed. Something changed. They knew that immediately. Let me show you Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7. And the eyes of them, and if you've, if you've not read Genesis in a while, I'd encourage you this week, go back and read Genesis 1, 2, 3, and 4, uh, just so you can get some context here. But they've just eaten the fruit. The woman ate of the fruit, then she gave it to her husband. He also ate, verse 7, the eyes of them both were open and they knew that they were naked. Immediately, something changed. They said, something is wrong here. They, where they had never been bothered before, now they went out, verse 7, and they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves aprons. That's the first indication we have that Adam and Eve knew something was wrong. Here's the second indication, verse 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Evidently, there was a regular habit of meeting with God daily. But this time when they hear the Lord coming, what do they do? They hide. They knew something was wrong. Something was wrong right from the beginning. In chapter 3, if you read that later, you'll, you'll see that God says that thorns and thistles will grow. Have you ever noticed that when you plant tomatoes, the weeds seem to grow faster than the tomatoes? You plant some green peppers in your garden and the weeds always outgrow them. Something's wrong. Why do husbands struggle to understand their wives? And why do wives struggle to comprehend their, their husbands? Why is there so often in a marriage this power struggle? Well, God tells us why in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16. And I'm sure, I'm convinced that as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, their harmonious marriage became not harmonious. They noticed right away that something was wrong. Let me give you some other observations that we can make today that help us understand something is wrong with this world. Why are there wars that kill people and destroy stuff? Why can't people just get along? You ever wondered that? I'm going to blow up your buildings. No, I'm going to blow up your buildings first. I'm going to kill you. No, I'm going to kill you first. Why, why can't we just agree? You leave my buildings alone. I'll leave your buildings alone. 
Well, because we all have a sin nature. We're always convinced that we're right and the enemy is wrong. Have you ever noticed that often in revolutions, if you read history, often in revolutions, the revolution overthrows one corrupt government and puts a different corrupt government in its place? That's often more harsh than the previous one. Why is that? Well, because something is wrong. I've been following, if you've not been following this and you enjoy uh, uh, courtroom drama, you really ought to go back and read about Sam Bankman-Fried. He's been on trial in New York. Uh, he founded a cryptocurrency company, and I'm not into cryptocurrency, but he founded a cryptocurrency company called FTX, and next to that he founded a, uh, an investment group called Alameda Research, and somehow between the two of them they lost $8 billion with a B, $8 billion. So he was on trial because the government, the prosecutors were trying to prove that he was careless and, and defrauded people who had put money, crypto money, I know, but put money into FTX. He had stolen that money and he had spent it on whatever he wanted to spend it on. Now, I don't know about you, I lose things too. How many of you ever lose things? I've lost wallets, I've lost keys, um, I've lost headphones, I've lost cash. The other day we were going through some envelopes, we found $200. It was great. But I don't know why, <laughs> I don't know, I, I lost it. I, I lose all kinds of things. And at my home, the, the level of anxiety goes up with the more expensive the item is, right? Keys sort of low on the totem pole because we usually have two sets, right? Okay, we, we can get some new keys. But if I lose my wallet with the cash and the cards in it, I get concerned and because I'm concerned my whole family becomes concerned. So I'm following this trial of Sam Bankman-Fried and the prosecutor asks him at one point, when did you realize that you were missing $8 billion? And he gave a date, I don't remember, sometime about a year ago. And they said, what did you ask your subordinates when you found out $8 billion was missing? He said, I didn't ask them anything. Now, let's imagine I come home today and I say, you know, I've misplaced something. And my wife says, what is it? $8 billion. Don't you think we'd find out? Don't you think we'd want to know what happened to that money? How can people, how can someone be so careless? He's taking deposits in this FTX cryptocurrency. I, I know it's strange, but he's taking deposits, lose $8 billion and just be totally unconcerned. It's our sinful hearts. It's our sinful hearts. The Old Testament saints knew something was wrong from the very beginning. Well, as soon as sin came into the world, they knew something was wrong. They knew that life was different with sin after the fall than it had been before sin, before the fall, without, when life was without sin. And I am sure that Adam and Eve communicated directly to their children, hey, we all have a sin nature and we've got to do something about it. There's some other things that Adam and Eve knew right from the beginning, from chapter 3. If you're still in Genesis chapter 3, look with me at verse 15. God makes a statement to Eve and to Adam, by extension to Adam. Genesis 3.15, God says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. Excuse me, I, I said that wrong. That's also sin. 
because I'm not careful. God's speaking to the serpent who has deceived Eve. And he says, God says, I will put enmity between thee, that is the serpent and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. There's three things that Adam and Eve knew from this statement. The first thing that they would have known is that there was going to be the seed of the woman. And that would have been a, I don't have time to open that whole box up, but that, that, that's a very interesting statement. The seed of the woman, there would be a coming savior. The second thing they knew about that savior is that he was going to suffer. Why? Because the serpent was going to bruise his heel. He was going to suffer. And the third thing they knew is that ultimately that coming Savior would conquer the devil because he crushes the serpent's head. So here's Adam and Eve, and they're telling their kids, hey, listen, children, life didn't always, wasn't always this way. There weren't always weeds that outgrew the plants. There weren't always wolves that ate the sheep. There weren't always struggles between a husband and a wife. Things used to be different. But sin has come into the world, and now things are this way. And we need to look to God for a savior. There was a system of sacrifices that was, was uh, implemented. And one day it became Cain's time and Abel's time to offer a sacrifice. Now, I don't know if this was the first time or the 50th time. We, the Bible doesn't tell us. It just says that there came a time they were going to offer a sacrifice. And Cain, he was a farmer. Cain said, I'm a farmer. I'm going to bring God fruits. I'm going to bring God vegetables. That's what I'm going to offer. And Abel was a shepherd. He said, I'm going to bring God one of the prime lambs, the firstlings of my flock. Could have been a goat. Could have been a lamb. I'm going to bring that to God. Now, I always wondered as a kid, as I heard the story, I always wondered, well, how did Cain know what he was supposed to bring and Abel know what he was supposed to bring? There's a really strong hint of that in chapter 3. Again, if you're in Genesis chapter 3, notice verse uh, seven with me, that when Adam and Eve saw that they were both naked, they sewed fig leaves together. They took plant material and made themselves clothes. But notice what happens at the, uh, what, notice what happens at the end of the chapter in um, verse 21, Genesis 3, 21, unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. God said, your efforts to put clothes on your body, not enough. I'm going to kill an animal and I'm going to make you clothes out of those skins. A strong hint, a strong clue that these sacrifices were to be animals, an animal sacrifice. But Cain blew past all that. Remember our four things? He probably believed God exists. By the end of the story, he definitely believes that God exists. And that God created all things, yes, but evidently Cain did not think that God rewards those who diligently seek him. Or Cain believed that God really didn't communicate to man what he wanted. And so Cain could bring his own sacrifice, whatever pleased Cain, whatever made God happy, whatever made Cain happy. Abel, on the other hand, believed that God existed, that he created all things, that he rewarded those who sought him. And he believed that God had communicated to man, and so he brought from the firstlings of his flock. Now, if you don't know the end of the story, God warns Cain, your sacrifice is not sufficient. And you ought to be careful because sin is lying at the door. 
And Cain leaves that meeting with God and instead of repenting, instead of saying, God, you're right, I'm wrong, let me just bring you the right sacrifice, Cain goes out and he kills his brother. He kills Abel. Now think about this from Abel's side. Abel brings the right sacrifice. He brings a lamb. And what does Abel get in return? Abel gets murdered. At the end of our story, Abel is dead. And what happens to Cain? Cain gets to wander the earth. I mean, God does judge him. I understand that. But what kind of judgment? You got to wander. What kind of judgment is it? Cain, Abel is dead. How come Cain gets away and, and has his life? And here's why. Because the Christian life requires faith. Because righteousness is not always immediately rewarded. And evil is not always immediately punished. Sometimes the Cains are, excuse me, sometimes the Abels are killed while the Cains go free. Sometimes the Abels lie in the dust while the Cains get to go back to their families. And some people that call themselves Christians, they see this injustice and they say, you know what, this isn't working you know what they do? They abandon their faith. Now, I'm not talking about where they are eternally. I'm not talking about their, their, their going to heaven. Or I'm talking about how they live their lives. They abandon their faith and they give up because they're more focused on fairness than they are focused on faith. Because for many Christians, their faith isn't in God. Their faith is in what I like to call the big bargain. Now, let me explain what I mean by this. This is not a Bible term, Okay. But I call it the big bargain because a lot of us think that God ought to immediately bless us when we do right. And he ought to immediately judge those who do evil. And when we don't see that, we get discouraged. We say, this isn't working. And we just go back to doing what Cain did. And that is do whatever pleases me. The big bargain is when we say, God, I'll have faith in you if you keep me happy and healthy and whole. Well, let me ask you, how did that work out for Abel? When Abel served God, when Abel obeyed God, when Abel had faith that God would reward those who seek him, what happened? He died. His brother murdered him. But a lot of Christians are like, see our faith like a big Walmart. And faith is the cash that we spend to get what we want. Faith is not the cash we spend to get what we want. Faith is, an, is a convinced belief that God will ultimately reward the righteous and that God ultimately will judge the wicked. We may not see it in our lifetime even, but that's how God operates. So when it comes to this big bargain, you've probably heard people say to you, or maybe to a group that you're in, say something like, listen, if you give to the Lord, you'll never have financial struggles. That's not true. You may give to the Lord exactly what he asks you. You may give generously to the Lord and you may still have financial problems. Some people say, well, if you just pray, you know, you just pray and, and you trust God, he will always heal you. I had a pastor, he's, he's in his 80s now, and he's a little bit sarcastic. He said, you know, it's funny how God always heals every disease except the last one. <laughs> people will say, you know, if you just pray hard enough and, and, and you trust God, he's going to heal you. No, that's not true. 
If you just handle your kids a certain way, you are guaranteed they're going to turn out the way you want them to turn out. That's not, that's not what God promises. Turn up a child in the way he should go, and when he, was, when he is old, he shall not depart from it. But it may not please you the way he goes. When I was, uh, Christy and I were married in the mid-90s, and not long after we were married, there was a book that came out called I Kiss Dating Goodbye by Josh Harris. If you haven't read it, don't. I have not read it, and, and so I'm telling you what I've heard from other people, but this is the impression I get from listening to other people talk about this book. Josh Harris puts forth the idea, you know, if you just do dating, or they would call it courtship, you just do this right, then you're going to have a happy and healthy marriage. That's not true. You can do things right and still have trouble in your marriage. Where is Josh Harris today? Well, he tells us, he tells us, his words say, I am not a Christian, I'm an atheist. And he and his wife divorced several years ago. Now my heart goes out to him. Because I'm guessing, don't know, but I'm guessing, he really believed that if he just did everything right, just the way God said, that he would have a happy and healthy marriage. And at some point, when he stopped having a happy and healthy marriage, instead of going back to God and saying, God, I need your grace for today. Whether it was his fault or his wife's fault, of course it was both of their fault. I need your grace for today. Instead of that, he said, God, you failed me. I did everything right, and look what happened. Well, think about Abel. Abel brings God the sacrifice that he asks for. Abel brings a lamb, and he sacrifices it. And that, if, you, if you've raised animals, you know how meaningful that is to Abel. Abel does what God asks him to, and what does he get? He gets murdered. How fair is that? That's why faith is necessary. Because if you're into the big bargain, you're going to eventually get discouraged and you're going to give up. You're going to feel like God has failed you. You're going to feel like, I did everything right, Lord, and you didn't come through. But that's not what faith is. The Christian life requires faith because righteousness is not immediately rewarded. The Christian life requires faith because evil is not immediately punished. Now go back to Hebrews 11. I want you to see this in the text of Hebrews 11. It's there in Genesis also. It's, it's all throughout the Bible. In fact, I started to list examples of the grand bargain not working. And you know what's at the top of the list? Jesus Christ. Jesus did everything God the Father asked of him. And where did it lead him? To the cross. Now how fair is that? Don't buy into the grand bargain, but look at with me at, at Hebrews 11, verses, uh, verse 13. Hebrews 11, verse 13. These all, he's talking about the people he's listed up till verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. Because God doesn't immediately reward righteousness. Now, the whole point of the chapter is that these people did the right thing, and by faith, God blessed them, but not immediately. Abel didn't receive the promises. We're going to talk about what he did get here in a second, but Abel didn't receive the promises in his lifetime. Abraham did not receive the promises, all of them, the land particularly, did not receive those promises in his lifetime. 
Moses never got into the promised land in his lifetime. And if you're focused on the big bargain, you're often going to be discouraged because God seems, notice what I said, God seems to have failed. But let me remind you, the Christian life requires faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Why? Because God doesn't always immediately reward the righteous and he doesn't always immediately judge the wicked. And it's not, as I said earlier, it's not a lack of faith. Shoo me. It's not a lack of knowledge. It's not a lack of knowledge that's inhibiting our Christian living. We know a lot about the Bible. We have a lot of knowledge right there at our fingertips. It's not a lack of God's grace, a lack of power that inhibits Christian living. Because God's grace is always sufficient. What is it? It's a lack of faith. It's a lack of faith. And often we lack faith because we've bought into the big bargain. God, I'm going to make a contract with you. I'm going to do everything right, and then you're going to do this for me. And when we do everything right and God doesn't do this for us. By the way, who makes up this contract? I do. You do. I'm not talking about the promises of God's word. You can trust the promises of God's word. Trust me. This you can believe. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about me making up the contract. And I say, God, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. And then you're going to do this for me. And when God doesn't do this for me, I get discouraged. I say, God, you failed. I look at all the things I've done for you. Don't buy into the big bargain. Have the faith that Abel had. And what did faith, Abel's faith do for him? Well, the first thing that Abel's faith did for him is he pleased God. Hebrews 11.4, by faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Genesis 4 tells us that, Cain, that Abel's sacrifice pleased God. The first thing that Abel's obedience, bringing that lamb, the firstling of the flock, whether it was a lamb or a goat, the first thing that it did was it pleased God. Do you want to please God? I want to please God. I love God. I want God to be pleased with me. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. He pleased God. But here's the second thing that Abel's faith did for him. Abel's faith means that he was the first righteous man mentioned in the Bible. You say, where do you see that? Well, let's look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4 again. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was... What's the next word? Righteous. Now, does God say that Adam was righteous? No. By one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. That was Adam who sinned. The Bible's very clear about that. You know what the Bible tells us about Eve? The Bible tells us that Eve was deceived. That's what the Bible tells us. You know what the Bible says about Cain? He's a murderer. And what does the Bible say about Abel? He was righteous. Was he righteous because of the sacrifice? No, 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 no. Don't miss this. He's righteous because of the faith. By faith, Abel offered, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. Do you want the righteousness of God? You can only get it by faith. You don't get it by works. You don't get it by trying harder. You don't get, get it by reforming yourself. You get it by faith in Jesus Christ that he died for your sins. Paying that penalty completely rose again the third day. That's how any of us gets righteousness. And it's no different for the Old Testament saints. Again, they knew that sin was a problem. They knew that God had promised a Savior. 
the seed of the woman. They knew that that Savior would have to suffer, and they knew that that Savior would conquer. They knew these things. But did they have faith? And in Abel's case, yes, they had faith. But here's the third thing that Abel got. He pleased God. He was the first righteous man in the Bible. He still speaks to us today. Verse 4 again, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. He pleased God. By which he obtained witness that he was righteous. He was the first one in the Bible to be mentioned as righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and by it, he being dead, Abel, dead, yet speaks. His name is right here in the Bible. Thousands of years ago, Abel offered that that sacrifice. Thousands of years ago, Abel died, and he still speaks to us today. Now, I don't know about you, but that is quite the reward. You know, my ministry is only going to last about as long as I'm alive, and then... The Lord's going to take me home. If, if he delays his coming, that's fine. The Lord's going to take me home. And guess what? Within a few generations, people won't even know who I am. I had a fellow, there was a fellow at the men's meeting. He went back uh, several generations of preachers all the way to Ed Kimball. And how many of you think you know who Ed Kimball is? That's the problem. Ed Kimball was D.L. Moody's Sunday school teacher. You've heard the story before. How Ed Kimball is the man who led D.L. Moody to the Lord. And D.L. Moody led this man to the Lord. He led this man all the way down to the preacher who was preaching that day. I think that's what it was. Here's the point. We forget so quickly these people. But we haven't forgotten Abel, have we? He being dead, yet speaketh. Faith is believing that God ultimately will reward all righteousness. Faith is believing that God ultimately will punish all evil and judge all the wicked. And faith is necessary because that doesn't always happen immediately. You need faith. Young people, you need faith because you know what's going to happen? You're going to look around you as you grow up and there's going to be people who are doing evil and they seem to be having a better life than you. They're going to be making wicked Choices that go against God's word and they're going to have a huge smile on their face and they're going to have a big fat bank account and they're going to be driving nicer car, a nicer car than you. They're going to be living in a nicer home than you. Their health is going to be better than your health. And if you've bought into the big bargain, you're going to say, forget it. Why would I serve the Lord? Now, I'm just going to remind you, For all of eternity, they're going to face the judgment of a righteous God. And for all of eternity, when it really matters, when there's no moth that eats or rust that corrupts, when that time comes, you're going to have a bigger home. You're going to have a better bank account. There won't be any banks in heaven. I know that. but Probably no cars either. But you get the point. But guess what? If you buy into the big bargain as a young person, You're going to look around at people that are doing better than you and think, God, it doesn't pay to serve God. It pays to serve God. It just doesn't always pay immediately. Sometimes we get to middle age. I'm going to call myself middle-aged, okay? We get to middle age and we sort of look back over our life and we think, what did all this matter? Especially if you've had some things go south, you've had some financial reverses, or maybe you have a, 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 in my case, a father-child relationship or mother-child relationship that didn't go quite the way you want, you look back and say, what does it all matter? And we think that our faith in God, we think 
that our faith in God has been misplaced. And we say, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to do whatever's easy. Don't do that. Because God ultimately will reward all righteousness. And God ultimately will judge all the wicked. Sometimes as a Christian, you may have a wicked person who has treated you abominably. I mean abominably. I was talking with one of you a couple weeks ago. Things that we wouldn't even mention from the pulpit. That's how evil people have been towards you. And you can get bitter in your heart because they got away with it. Nothing, I'm talking about humanly speaking, nothing happened to them. They got away with it. And so you sit there with that bitterness. You get angrier and angrier when you think about it because they hurt you and they got away with it. Trust me, God doesn't always ultimately, excuse me, God doesn't always immediately judge the wicked. But someday that person's going to stand before God and they've got to give an account for what they did. And if they haven't, by faith, accepted the righteousness that is in Jesus Christ, I'd much rather be in your shoes than theirs. We look at our nation and it seems to me, and I, many of you have told me this, it seems like corruption and evil just keep increasing in our country. And we think to ourselves, does it really pay to live righteously, to follow God's word, and to do it his way? I tell you, yes. I tell you, yes. There'll come a time when all of this, these lies, all of this corruption, it's going to come to light. And this is going to be exposed as evil and wicked and vile. And people are going to say, why do we ever think that was a good idea? Now, it may not happen in your lifetime or my lifetime. I admit that. I admit that, but it's going to happen. One hint we see of that, I'm going to share just a story that I have seen. One hint of that, you remember, if you grew up as I did in the 80s, it seemed like the Soviet Union was a peer to the United States. We were locked in the middle of a Cold War. Some of you were, some of you were flying planes back then, flying in planes back then. You were ready on a moment's notice to have a nuclear war between the Soviet Union and the United States. But you know what? That's, that, that communism was built on a stack of lies. And I don't know where you were. I remember where I was when the Berlin Wall came down. Who thought that was going to happen? Who thought that was going to happen? And then we saw just how corrupt and how vile and how wicked the Soviet Union had been, and we had known this. I, we'd known this for generations. I know that. But all of a sudden, it was exposed to the whole world. Do you remember how quickly that happened? A matter of years. Soviet Union was nothing. Because it was built on a stack of lies. For decades, for generations, I, I met people in Mongolia. They had been born under communism. They had raised their families under communism. Their grandchildren had been born into communism but their great-grandchildren were not. Because communism is lies. It's built on the idea that basically we all want to be nice to each other. That's a lie. And when it fell, when it was exposed, people said, why do we ever think that would work? Now, you get 30 years, about a generation away, you get Bernie Sanders. We just didn't do it right. This time we're going to do it right. That comes out of our own sinful hearts. 
I'm telling you, you're always going to find lies and wickedness. And if you focus on fairness, you're going to be discouraged. Focus on faith in God who will ultimately reward all the righteous. And ultimately, he's going to expose all the wicked. You can trust God to do right. So if you have someone who has hurt you and gotten away with it, or maybe they didn't completely get away with it, but they, they didn't suffer nearly as much as you suffered, you can trust God. You can give God your bitterness. You can ask for God's grace to forgive that person. And guess what? You're probably going to have to ask for God's grace to forgive that person tomorrow and the next day. I, I understand. I, I get that. But just remember, God ultimately will judge the wicked. And he ultimately will reward the righteous. And Abel, being dead now for thousands of years, still teaches us that lesson. Now let me ask you, in the moment, Cain's laying in the ground, bloody and dead. Shoot me, Abel. <laughs> Abel's laying in the ground, bloody and dead. Cain walks away, doesn't he? He walks away. On that day, you might say, God, that doesn't seem very fair to me. But now 5,000 years on, 6,000 years on, how many ever thousands of years it's been, who's in a better place? Cain or Abel? That's where faith comes in. Because in the moment, you can't see it. But if you have faith in God, one day you will see it. Father, thank you for, for your word. It encourages me because I, I lack faith. So often, I know what your word instructs me to do. And I have the grace to do it if I want it. I just, I just don't have faith. I just don't really think that doing righteousness, doing right, is going to pay off. And I think that somehow I'm going to be like Cain. I'm going to bring my own offering. I'm going to do it my way. And somehow that's going to be the better way. Father, forgive me for my lack of faith. Some of the men, some of the women here this morning, they're struggling with their faith. It's something that's happened to them. Maybe they're seeing the people around them, the wicked prosper while the righteous are oppressed. And they're thinking, this doesn't seem fair. Why does he go free and I have to suffer? Why does she get away with it and I have to pay the price? Father, remind them this morning that a thousand years from now, they're going to be so glad they served you. Father, we thank you that you save your best rewards for eternity when we can enjoy them forever. We thank you that we can find that grace to forgive. We thank you that we can find your grace and your goodness to do what's right. Help me to be a pastor of faith. Help me to be a husband of faith, a father of faith, a son who has faith. And help these, my sisters, my brothers in Christ, to be women and men of faith. Strengthen the feeble hands, the weak knees. Strengthen them. Give grace to those who are bitter and hurt. And Lord, may Elmira Baptist Church be known as people of faith. We pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.